Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Tell your friends about us. That's how we grow and have been growing. It's hard to believe we're in our third year of the Relentless Truth podcast. It is good to be with you. You can go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, to learn more about our work or to send along your thoughts via our contact form, or you can send an email directly to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. And I will reply to you if you are nice. Actually, I'll reply anyway. It is a delight to be with you again today. We're changing it up a little bit and we're going into the uncharted territory of the economy again. But this time we're going to talk about a a couple of political issues and the economy. You know, I I know a fair amount about economics. I teach economics, as you may know, and I tend to focus on macroeconomic theory, but also micro to some degree. If you know the difference in those two, then you understand what I just said. For those of you who don't, I tend to focus on the larger economic indicators, supply, demand, and price equilibrium, and those kinds of things. And uh, about the economy that relate to the economy at large. Um, but I find myself wondering how the economy is actually going. And we've had several episodes about this. My heart goes out to many of you who are struggling, who have had to adjust and, and, and the statistics on uh, people who are, uh, I, I guess they call it food insecure are alarming at the the total credit card debt in this country setting a record at over one trillion dollars is alarming there are several articles that you can find for yourself out there on how people are maxing out their credit cards getting new credit cards to pay for the old credit cards and it just feels like i, I think it's a little more than just a feeling but it it seems to me that we are that we are in a uh, we are experiencing a consumer credit crisis, a bubble, if you will. And I know that there are uh, bankruptcy protections and those kinds of things. I don't I don't have all that data today with me uh, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on 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 that but but just to say that you know that that's a problem and and i've compared on this podcast i've compared our economy in the united states today to the roaring 1920s and i still believe that is a good comparison i it is eerie to me how similar this period is to that period and if that seems too abstract too far uh, uh, long ago then let's compare today to the Jimmy Carter presidency. I think that's that works as well. Now, we don't have quite the same interest rate environment, but 
we do have an eight and a half percent prime rate. Consumer credit is through the roof. We have mortgage rates at eight percent or more um, residential mortgage rates. So interest rates are higher. Uh, They've got room to go up some more. The Fed is talking about perhaps not continuing to increase. We've had some peculiar employment data, new job data in particular this last week that kind of last few weeks that kind of suggests that, you know, maybe the economy is cooling off a bit. You've probably noticed that Bed Bath & Beyond has come back as a an Internet company, a virtual company. Not not with brick and mortar stores. I think they might have a few of those. They don't in our town. Um, they closed their store here, and and there are others that are that are struggling. Uh, and you're going to continue to hear about that. Well, we we've just wrapped up uh, at the time of this recording, and this will be a, a, a few weeks old when you hear it, but still applicable. Um, we we've wrapped up the 2023 Republican primary debate season and it's really interesting because these candidates have kind of narrowed down to four well let's call it five because donald trump is there too but he's he has not participated in any of the debates and so you have next in line ron DeSantis. you know who he is the governor of florida who in my opinion does a great job in that role he's running for president for the republican nomination And then Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and former uh, secretary, U.S. secretary to the U.N. uh, under Donald Trump. And then former uh, governor and attorney general and held several roles in New Jersey. Chris Christie is also running. And then Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a hedge fund manager of sorts. He's very wealthy. Um, he's also running. Uh, Ramaswamy and Christie have uh, are bringing up the rear. They have very little chance unless something happens that is earth shattering, which doesn't appear to be happening. And and uh, and and then and then you have Haley trailing next, and and DeSantis leading among the four who have been participating in these debates. And then you have Donald Trump, who's running away with everything. And, and I, I grew up learning politically that uh, we vote with our wallets. And if that's the case, then, then uh, um, you know, we, we enjoyed prosperity under Trump. Uh, he, he didn't make the best fiscal decisions. He didn't manage COVID well. He faced opposition every, every minute he was in office. And he was controversial and enjoyed being controversial. He recently appeared on, I didn't watch it, but he appeared on Sean Hannity's show on Fox News, and Sean asked him about whether he was a dictator, and he said he was going to be a dictator his first day in office, and he was going to um, eliminate uh, illegal immigration and, and do something else. I, I don't recall what that was, but he, he, it was a cute answer, but, it, but, he, but he scares people post-January 6th, so... But nonetheless, he's apparently got a 50 point lead or 40 some point lead uh, over the other Republican candidates. It appears that he is going to be the nominee. Now, I, 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 I just can't believe that. Um, I, I guess I'm denying the obvious, but it just strikes me as, as peculiar. Well, there 
yeah, as we think about the economy, you know, we've talked about leading and lagging indicators. We've talked about interest rates and and we've talked about the challenges, the 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 cart at your supermarket that you fill for your family and how those prices have doubled or almost doubled. Uh, gas prices have come down a bit, um, but they they're they're up as well. And, and there's just this belief out there that 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 Joe Biden uh, and, and he's slipping cognitively and, and you know, the, the gaffes and all that people who love him still love him. Uh, but but he is apparently um, struggling in, in the polls when when he faces off with Trump. They're they're close. They're neck and neck sort of. They're within the margin of error, which I. I, I still find hard to believe, but, but he's got all these, all these cognitive issues going on, I guess, appears to me to have, I say that with respect for our president. Um, and, and there are all, all kinds of conspiracy theories and rumors and, and, and then, but when you look at the economy, I just can't imagine. And, and maybe, maybe a Trump nomination would cause me to imagine it, but I can't imagine this incumbent president winning uh, re-election. Um, there are those who say he's not going to run, that he's going to bow out and Michelle Obama or Kamala Harris or somebody else is going to step in. Well, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know what's what I don't know what's going to happen there. But as it relates to the economy, um, the, the, the world has changed. There's there's all this talk about this great reset. You've probably heard about this. And and, and when conspiracy theorists talk about it they gasp and sort of whisper it the great reset you know can you believe it it's it's coming it's going to get you and and what they what they mean is is kind of interesting but they mean that covid-19 and, and there there have been books written on this from the 1970s by the way but there there's this globalist idea and and there are those who believe that covid-19 has accelerated this this great reset and i i will try to explain it as best i can in several pieces today and and i i mentioned the political environment because there was a moment in the last debate where republican debate where nikki haley was was accused by ron DeSantis and vivek ramaswamy of being supported by the uh, economic elite, the the, uh, the the economic globalists, and and they they uh, accuse her of um, being an ESG supporter. That's an that's an investing strategy that takes environmental, social, and governance factors into account. And you may know that Ron DeSantis has signed an, an anti-ESG bill in Florida preventing state officials for putting public money into ESG-related funds. And you know that Ramaswamy has written a book arguing against the pursuit of these woke ideals in, in corporations. And so, so this topic of ESG and Nikki Haley accepting woke money, basically big money, big party money, big money from corporations that buy into this globalist reset strategy 
that focuses on ESG, uh, environmental, social, and and governance, uh, and um, that that there's a lot there that we're not going to unpack today. But but you you know about the the uh, neo environmentalists. That's what I, that's my word. Who now believe that that's like the number one issue now, and uh, I think John Kerry and and uh, oh goodness, uh, Al Gore. I almost forgot Al Gore for a moment. Um, th- those names come to mind, but but they they say things like you know those are the most important considerations for government and and the and the corporate boardroom. I I don't believe that for one second. I, I'm not suggesting for those of you who. Our environmentalist. I'm not suggesting that we be irresponsible at all. We can improve our environmental sensibility, our 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 environmental track record. You know, there were 40, 50 years ago, companies dumping toxic waste into some of our rivers. So we've come a long way. We can still do better. But those strategies, those environmental strategies, don't trump profitability don't trump safety the safety government is supposed to provide at home and abroad and 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 no we don't need safety from global warming it doesn't it's not the same thing and and all you have to do is is look at xi jinping and china look at putin and russia look at look at the whole ukrainian conflict there and look at israel and hamas and and gaza and, and the west bank and all the rest and and even lebanon and 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 you know that environmental concerns and concerns that global warming is happening and it's our fault due to our CO2 emissions, you know, th- those aren't even on, on the same priority list. Not for me anyway. And if they are for you, that's fine. We can still be friends. But, but this, this ESG focus by companies is, is, is really interesting to me. The, the, the World Economic Forum uh, I, I find really curious that it, that is the place uh, that you'll hear uh, lots of lots of talk about. Uh, they, they've got an, uh, an annual meeting coming up in Switzerland in in uh, January. I think it's the 15th through the 19th of, of 2024. And and they're they're going to focus on that. The implications on decision making and global partnership, the implications of new technologies and, and the, the opportunities that these new technologies uh, uh, create. And, 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 you know, there, there, there are several, several themes the the, the building for the next generation, uh, uh, reimagining globalization, which should horrify all of us to hear reimagining globalization, um, a, a, a rethinking for AI, artificial intelligence, um, uh, navigating the green transition, the economic issues, and and the um, need for economic inclusion and empowerment. Um, so there's a there's a, a discussion going on of the role of public private philanthropic partnerships in in driving the 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 climate uh, uh, change issue and nature change issue. And, and I know all of that sounds lofty and wonderful uh, to many of you. It sounds horrifying to me. Well, there's, there's a guy, this is really interesting to me. His, his name is Larry Fink. And you, you might not know who Larry Fink is. Well, he, 
he came up, if not by name, he came up in the last debate by reference. He is the CEO of BlackRock. BlackRock is the largest mutual fund company, largest investment house, largest uh, fund company in the world. Some of the schools, Christian schools I work with, uh, have been funded, had tax-exempt bond funds, funding projects that have been funded by BlackRock. T. Rowe Price and all, all the others are, are small. I mean, they're huge companies, but they're small compared to BlackRock. BlackRock is the big dog. Well, Fink is, Larry uh, uh, Fink is an interesting character. He, he looks harmless enough. He looks like any investment banker you'd run across. But he has, he has written a, a letter to CEOs called The Power of Capitalism. And, and he, he, he talks about the fiduciary duty that he has to their clients, to the BlackRock clients who entrust them, BlackRock, to manage their assets. And, and he, he's writing, he says, to highlight the themes that, that he should care about in his role as CEO of this company. He, he's, he's basically just saying, look, I'm, I'm doing my duty. And, and, he, and he starts with BlackRock when it started 34 years ago and all the rest. And then, and then he, he dives into something that I want you to know about called stakeholder capitalism. And, and he says, it, it, here's what he says. Stakeholder capitalism is not about politics. It's not a social or ideological agenda. <clears throat> yeah, right. It is not woke. Yes, it is. It is capitalism driven by mutually beneficial relationships between you and the employees, customers, suppliers, and communities your company relies on to prosper. This is the power of capitalism. Now, I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you in my words what, what I hear in my head when I read this letter. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple other quotes from the letter in just a second. But, but what I hear is, yes, the word stakeholder means that we no longer can just care about our shareholders. Or let me put it differently. If we care just about our shareholders, we also have to care on a primary basis about all of our stakeholders. That includes people who watch us to make sure that we're woke. This is where I, I, I don't think he's being all that forthcoming with his characterization. Maybe, maybe he thinks of wokeness as something differently than I do. But, but what, what he's really saying is it is those stakeholders that include our shareholders. So stakeholders is a big set of people that care about our, our results and our environmental performance and, and our governmental compliance and all the things we do. Those are, those are stakeholders. And, and we, we've got to run our company to please them. And, and, and a smaller set is our shareholders. And, and it used to be, you know, if you have an MBA like I do and you went to business school anytime in the last 50 years to get that degree, you know, from a good school, you know, that, that you're, you, as a board member, you have fiduciary duty to your shareholders. And, and you wake up every day. If you're on the board of a company, a publicly traded company uh, or private for that matter. And, and what you care about, not, not to the exclusion of the law or to your, your moral uh, compass or, or, or relationships, not, not, you know, I'm not suggesting a torched earth kind of policy at all, but, 
but you care about, number one, increasing shareholder wealth. We call it value growth. And if we measure it over time, we call that value growth duration. You probably know these concepts if you're involved in business at all. Well, now all of a sudden, not, maybe not all of a sudden, but, but now uh, Larry Fink is suggesting and others, many others have suggested, I'm not picking on Mr. Fink. He seems like a nice guy. He's probably brilliant. He runs a good company, I think. Uh, but, but now, now we care about stakeholders. Now we've got to broaden. And, and I, I think that might be a way of saying there's just this public expectation post COVID-19. And he, he gets into that in his, in his letter. And we'll, 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 we'll read, read about that in just a minute. But post COVID-19 now, now we, we care about, about some other things. And, and I, I think what he's saying is to give our shareholders a kind of return that they expect to, to look out for the best interest of our shareholders. We have to do this. We're in a, we're in a global economy. Now this reset is happening and we've got to care about all of these other interests. It's just more complicated now. He's, I think he's saying than just to give returns to shareholders. So Maybe he's trying to say, you know, we're, we're, we can't be short-sighted or something along those lines. So here's what he says about the pandemic. The pandemic has turbocharged an evolution in the operating environment for virtually every company. It's changing how people work and how consumers buy. It's creating new businesses and destroying others. Most notably, it's dramatically accelerating how technology is reshaping life and business. Innovative companies looking to adapt to this environment have easier access to capital to realize their visions than ever before. And the relationship between a company, its employees, and society is being redefined. And then he talks about the fact that that's why your voice is more important than ever. It's Never been more essential for CEOs to have a consistent voice, a clear purpose, a coherent strategy, and a long-term view. Your company's purpose is its North Star. How many times do you hear about North Star in this tumultuous environment? The stakeholders your company relies upon to deliver profits for shareholders need to hear directly from you to be engaged and inspired by you. Well, that's true, CEOs. That's always been true. They don't want to hear us as CEOs opine on every issue of the day, but they do need to know where we stand on the social issues intrinsic keywords to our company's long-term success. Well, you, you know, one more quote, putting your company's purpose at the foundation of your relationships with your stakeholders is critical to long-term success. Well, Let's just talk for a minute about Bud Light and, and Dylan Mulvaney. Just as an example, and I know you're tired of hearing about this, but but just look at, at what a faux pas that was. Wasn't that Bud Light trying to do what Larry Fink is espousing here? I mean, he's telling the CEOs to do it, but and, and aren't they paying an incredible price for for having done that? Having having said we think we think trans is okay by implication. That is what they said. 
you know, hey, look, we're woke. I, I, I believe that's the argument Mr. Fink is making. It, it's, it's really interesting. He says, companies not adjusting to this new reality and responding to their workers do so at their own peril. So, so what do you, what do you do? What is he suggesting? Go, go pull your, your workers and, and run your company based on their opinions on social issues. Are you kidding me? And he, and he's talking about uh, the, the, these new sources of capital fueling uh, uh, market disruption. He says, never has there been more money available for new ideas to become reality. This is fueling a dynamic landscape of innovation. BlackRock wants to see the companies we invest in for our clients evolve and grow so that they generate attractive returns for decades to come. Capital markets have allowed companies and countries to flourish, but access to capital is not a right. It is a privilege, and he's right about that. And the duty to attract that capital in a responsible and sustainable way lies with you. And then he goes on to write about capitalism and sustainability. He says, we focus on sustainability not because we're, envir we're environmentalists, but because we are capitalists and fiduciaries to our clients. That requires understanding how companies are adjusting their businesses for the massive changes the economy is undergoing. As part of that focus, we're asking companies to set short, medium, and long-term targets for greenhouse gas reductions. These targets, and then and he goes on. He says, capitalism has the power to shape society and act as a powerful catalyst for change. Well, that's true, but but I, I don't know about you, but I don't want companies I own stock in to be act, being activists. And I, I think that's what he's suggesting. Now we offer this option to certain institutional clients, including pension funds that support 60 million people. We're working to expand this, this universe of ESG-focused companies, he says. I encourage you to ask that your asset manager gives you the opportunity to participate in the proxy voting process more directly. Of course, many corporate leaders are responsible for overseeing equity acts at assets, whether through employee pension funds, corporate treasury accounts, or other investments your company makes. Our conviction at BlackRock is that companies perform better when they are deliberate about their role in society and act in the interests of their employees, customers, communities, and their shareholders. I, I, I just, I don't like the tone of this. I, I agree with some of the sentences. I don't disagree with the idea of being responsible, but, but the implication that you pull your stakeholders to see where they are on social issues, and then companies must take these positions. I mean, the moral decay in this country absolutely concerns me. And, and, and you see it, and you, you can't miss it. The, the coldest and most insensitive among us can see what, what is, is happening. The, the good old-fashioned capitalism works. Corporate irresponsibility has, has been a problem for years. Uh, there, there's, this, there's this industrial revolution four that I'm going to talk about just for a few minutes that is kind of interesting. It, it's, uh, there are those who study these things who say that we've had three industrial revolutions, and this one that, that Fink is talking about, Larry Fink is talking about, is, is, is the fourth in the context of this great reset. And we'll, 
we'll, we'll look at that in, in, in just a moment. But, but this, this economy that we're in, it does not uniquely now call for capitalist companies to be responsible. That, that need has always been there and they've always been edgy in that regard. Uh, uh, we, we've had, we've had labor issues during the first industrial revolution. We had serious abuses. Uh, now we have OSHA, we have other controls, we have laws and policies in place and, and we, we have much, uh, you know, wage and hour laws and whole departments of labor and, and sub departments that monitor all these things. And, and I, I think, I think we're, we're over regulated from an HR, from a human resources uh, standpoint with most companies, but companies are forced to be responsible now in in that regard the epa regulates companies and and their and their emissions and and their their harm to the the economy i could go industry by industry and tell you about um, costs and changes and things that companies have to do uh, they, they 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 can't just discard waste of various types chemical waste especially they have to handle it a certain way and use it. Usually it's very expensive. It makes sense. And companies are, are doing so companies are in capitalism in the United States today are much, much, much more responsible. Is there a rogue company somewhere breaking the law? Oh, I'm sure there is. I, I mean, how would I know? But, but uh, yeah, like I, human nature being what it is, it, you know, you see Larry Fink and I come at life. I have a feeling from a completely different uh, worldview. Uh, he actually believes probably he's probably a secularist. I, I what I know, but uh, based on his writing that in, and he actually believes that, uh, you know, we must be responsible. We must be held to accountability and leave the, the world a better place. And that where man is capable of good without God. And, and he's probably got a, a whole host of, of ethical and, and moral um, tenets that he tries to live by, in an effort to optimize man. And I believe the only way we optimize man is through God himself, God almighty, as you know, from listening to this um, podcast. So I think this notion of a great reset is, is worth talking about. I hope, I hope we don't uh, sound uh, myopic or uh, like alarmists here. But but I want to I want to talk about an article that a guy named Michael Rechtenwald wrote. He's the chief academic officer for American Scholars, and I really don't know much about him uh, other than he has a, a PhD in literary and cultural studies from Carnegie Mellon, and he's taught at NYU, Duke, North Carolina, Central, Carnegie Mellon. Case Western, and, and he's written uh, several books uh, that that appear to me to be interesting relative to to this uh, this topic, this great reset topic. Well, in this particular article, he tries to he, he does quite well explain the great reset. It's a it's a conspiracy theory uh, that that imagines a vast left wing plot to establish a totalitarian one world government. And, 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 you know, that's, that, that's kind of the popular opinion. And, and Mr. Uh, Dr. Rechtenwald argues, no, that, that that's not, it's not what some people say 
that it is, but there is a a great reset. So he says it's not this vast one world government conspiracy theory, but it is a great reset. And he talks about a guy named Klaus Schwab, who is the executive chairman. He also founded the World Economic Forum that it's commonly called the WEF. And he says that uh, this organization is made of the world's political, economic, and cultural elites that meets it meets annually in Switzerland. And, and so uh, he and another guy uh, whose last name is Malleret or Malleret, M-A-L-L-E-R-E-T, um, it, it written a book called The Great Reset. And in this book, they define The Great Reset as a means of addressing the weakness of capitalism, the weaknesses of capitalism that were purportedly exposed by the COVID-19 pandemic. This, this is the part, if you've been sleeping through my rambling here, this is the part where we need to wake up and, and listen. This, this is important. The idea of the Great Reset, though, goes back further, the article says. It can be traced at least as far back as the inception of the World Economic Forum going all the way back to 1971. And, and it, it's, it's interesting how Schwab, in, in his first book, introduced the concept that he would later call stakeholder capitalism, arguing that, and here's the quote, that the management of a modern enterprise must serve not only shareholders, but all stakeholders to achieve long-term growth and prosperity. Well, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, you can't just torch the earth and wring every dollar of profit out of a company. You've got to do so responsibly. And if that's all we're talking about, then then we can agree. But I think there's more. And in, in 2018 and 19, the World Economic Forum organized two events that became primary inspiration for the current Great Reset Project. And, and also, for obvious reasons, fresh fodder for conspiracy theorists. In May 2018, WEF collaborated with the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security to conduct Clade X, a simulation of a national pandemic response. Isn't that interesting? You've probably heard about that. Then in October 2019, the WEF collaborated with Johns Hopkins and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on another pandemic exercise, Event 201, they called it. Those two uh, simulations anticipated about every eventuality of the COVID-19 crisis, most notably the responses by governments, health agencies, the media, tech companies, and elements of the public. They looked at the problem of misinformation and authoritative sources uh, uh, and this flood of social and legacy media with these authoritative sources that weren't authoritative at all. Uh, widespread riots and mass unemployment and those those kinds of things. So the Great Reset aims to usher in, he says in this article, a bewildering economic amalgam. Schwab's stakeholder capitalism, and he says, which I've called corporate socialism, and Italian philosopher Giorgio Agamben, A-G-A-M-B-E-N, has called communist capitalism. In brief, stakeholder capitalism involves the behavioral modifications of corporations to benefit not shareholders, but stakeholders. 
individuals and groups that stand to benefit or lose from corporate behavior. Then he, then he talks about BlackRock, one of the World Economic Forum's most powerful strategic partners, BlackRock Inc., the world's largest asset manager, is solidly behind the stakeholder model. And then he quotes from uh, BlackRock Larry Fink's letter uh, claiming that climate risk is investment risk. The creation of sustainable index investments has enabled a massive accelerations of ca- acceleration of capital towards companies better prepared to address climate risk. And, and on and on this, this article goes. The, the conclusion of the article uh, says, just as, as Schwab and the World Economic Forum predicted, the COVID crisis has accelerated the Great Reset. Monopolistic corporations have consolidated their grip on the economy from above while socialism continues to advance for the rest of us below. Did you hear that? Monop- monopolistic corporations have consolidated their grip on the economy from above. Isn't that the truth? While socialism continues to advance for the rest of us below. In partnership with Big Digital, Big Pharma, the mainstream media, national and international health agencies, and compliant populations, hitherto democratic Western states, think especially of Australia, New Zealand, and Austria, are being transformed into totalitarian regimes modeled after China. And then he ends on a note of hope. Because the goals of the Great Reset depend on the obliteration not only of free markets, but of individual liberty and free will, it is perhaps ironically unsustainable. Like earlier attempts at totalitarianism, the Great Reset is doomed to ultimate failure. That doesn't mean that it won't, again, like those earlier attempts, leave a lot of destruction in its wake, which is all the more reason to oppose it now and with all our might. I I think this lands us right here. We absolutely, Christians especially, must engage in the, in, in the politics of the day. We must care about these issues. We must oppose socialism at every turn. You can call it by, you can call it a great reset. You can call it uh, industrial revolution four. Uh, you, you can, you can make it look cool by having uh, the, the, the Schwab and, and Fink and, and others uh, uh, sort of sort of make it seem kind of flowery with the language they use to describe it. But all we need to do is look at the morality of this reset. Look at the, look at the, the tenets espoused. Uh, and and you, can, you can go to the, to the usual suspects. You can go to, to abortion. You can go to uh, transgender and LBGTQ causes. And I'm not suggesting we be cold and, and uh, impersonal and unloving at all. But I am suggesting that this socialism, this stakeholder socialism that is being espoused by these people is nothing short of evil and destructive. Uh, we have got to have leaders who take a stand. And embarrassingly, our Congress on both sides of the aisle embraces this stuff. It, it is political suicide to talk like I'm talking today. And I realize that. 
but I would be less than honest if I didn't. And I, 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 I want to I close the thought with this. Our great hope is in Jesus Christ. He, he is our great hope. His, his uh, virgin birth, his sinless life, his sacrifice by the people he came to save at the hands of, of on a cruel Roman cross, his resurrection, his ascension 40 days later, and his sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. It, this, this gospel, this, this justification by faith that is ours and, and then walking by faith that is ours, the, this God of Scripture who reveals himself to us in Scripture gives us comfort, gives us hope, gives us peace, allows us to rest even in this crazy environment. We're beginning to see, and I, I pulled up a chart in preparation for this uh, podcast episode on, on, the, on the, uh, the quantitative easing of the Federal Reserve, and you, you don't even want to hear about that, but they, they, they have caused this problem and now are in a position of, of trying to solve the problem. They, they, have, they have caused the environment that necessitated higher interest rates, and now they're trying to walk a tightrope to manage those interest rates so that they don't destroy the economy. How in the world they sleep at night knowing people are hungry, are starving, are maxing out credit cards just to live in this country because of government policy, because of government spending, because of national debt. How in the world uh, they sleep at night, I, I don't know. We, we can see through them. These are simple economic truths. If, if, you, if you've never learned anything at all about economics and you go back and, and listen to just a few of our episodes on this topic, I lay it out there, uh, uh, what, what at least is very clear in my head. I hope my communication skills don't diminish the message, um, but, but it, it really is not that complicated. We have devalued the dollar, which is why when you go to your supermarket, you have to spend almost double what you spent a few years ago. That, that's it, purely and, and simply. This economy is, is a mess. It, it looks good still, but, but it is the, the indicators take some time. It, it'll, it'll be probably six months from now that we'll all agree that, yes, this economy is in trouble. And once, once the employment side of the economy begins to suffer and, and companies begin to fail, and assets begin to reprice, begin to diminish in value, then we'll all agree on, on where we are economically. In the meantime, this election season is so important. Voting for principled leaders who don't buy into this reset, who don't buy into the World Economic Forum, who don't buy into these globalist elites, uh, for, for lack of a, a better way to describe them, who, who are not interested in, in just recasting this economic vision for the world, who understand that, yes, there are other stakeholders. That we've, we've talked like this in business for years. Of course, there are other stakeholders other than your shareholders. Yes. And we do care about them, but they don't replace, and I, I'm not sure that Fink was saying this, but, but he implies in my opinion, from reading his letter, that they, the, the stakeholders replace the shareholders. They, they certainly provide a, 
a larger set of constituents that that replace, in a sense, even though the shareholders are part of that larger set, replace the shareholders as the focus of the corporation. I'm telling you from having been a CEO of several banks, having been in the in the boardroom for meeting after meeting, there is laser-like focus required, tireless work for hours and hours for you know weeks, months, and years required to to run a for-profit corporation with with uh, to to meet the objectives of of the shareholders. Uh, you know that many of you do this work. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And 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 so this this I think it's a distraction, frankly, to to lump stakeholders in terms of their importance, in terms of 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 the the the, the value proposition associated with their needs. To lump them in with all shareholders, uh, to me, is is dangerous, and it is especially dangerous to allow these these social issues to dictate the uh, corporate strategy. Um, I, I really don't think shareholders care uh, about uh, the the view of key corporate officers on transgenderism and the LGBTQ issue and 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 if they do care then they're probably on the conservative side and and i'm just suggesting that those social issues the the social justice issues should absolutely not make their way into the strategic plan of america's corporations and if they do uh, in in my opinion uh, given my christian worldview they should do so from a biblical perspective. Not a popular opinion. Thank you for listening. I hope this didn't sound like a rant. Um, I look forward to seeing what this economy does. I genuinely hope I'm proven wrong. I hope Mr. Fink has good intentions. I hope our election goes the right way and we elect responsible people who who can lead our country uh, effectively as Ron DeSantis has done for the state of Florida. And, and I hope that God blesses this great country anew. And I hope that this, this reset, if I'm understanding it correctly, is not a, a globalist kind of agenda that gets uh, approved or embraced. And I hope that this fourth industrial revolution uh, does not happen if, if it is, if it is what I believe it to be this 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 sort of uh, worldwide globalist agenda uh, relative to uh, social justice. So thank you for um, listening. Uh, I appreciate this audience very much. We're going to go back, thankfully, to the attributes of God. We're, I'm going to talk about the the goodness of God next time, which is just a beautiful subject. You'll you'll be able to see. We'll be, we will see together how God's attributes are one as part of his essence. We see in his goodness, his love, grace, mercy, his immutability, all of his other attributes so clearly. So I look forward to uh, uh, being with you again. Then uh, please go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. Send along an email to me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. I look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. 
please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.